I'm Larissa, and I want to help you find the best strategy for communicating the magic and wonder of your jewelry brand so you can thrive by doing what you love and filling the world with beauty and creativity. Welcome to the Joy Joya Jewelry Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and innovators so they can thrive by doing what they love. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. This is episode 117, and today I'm sharing an interview with Paul Spinak, the founder of The Marketing Machine, which is an innovative and creative marketing agency based in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. Paul is the agency's creative director, marketing strategist, brand guardian, and sales force, all wrapped up into one high-octane package. Paul and I first bonded over our shared passion for branding, and then I found out we had more in common, which doesn't really surprise me. We were both born and raised in New Jersey, so he's basically my brother from another mother. In this episode, we focus our discussion on two very nebulous topics that I find confuse many jewelry entrepreneurs, marketing strategy and branding. What in the world do these two terms mean and how can you wrap your head around them as a small business owner? We'll be answering all these questions in the following interview. But before I get to the episode, I wanna share some marketing related news and insights from the past week that caught my attention. Let's talk about TikTok. If your target customers are actually spending time on TikTok, and remember, take this with a grain of salt, I'm not saying you just have to be on TikTok, this is only if it makes sense for your brand, then you should definitely start exploring, if you haven't already, how you can present your brand on TikTok. To address challenges that small business owners have with doing that, TikTok recently launched a new account called at TikTok for Business, just for this purpose, to provide business owners with tips on using the platform effectively. TikTok can be a great way to expand the reach of your video content in an accessible and fun way. Again, especially if your target customers are spending time there. The trend for video marketing is definitely rising. It's here to stay. Video is not going anywhere. And a majority of people would like to see more video content from the brands they already follow and admire. So this new TikTok for Business account can be a great way to learn more about TikTok's offerings. I've said this a number of times on the podcast, but marketing simply can't continue to ignore the customer experience. And Paul and I actually talk about this a lot in the interview. Digiday recently published a great article about this topic. Customers today want a seamless and convenient experience. So you wanna pay attention to your customers and then accommodate them accordingly in the best way that you can. The customer experience needs to be designed to fit the customer needs, not what you think the customer needs, but what the customer is actually telling you that he or she needs. Small businesses, to do this, small businesses have embraced automation and shifted expectations about automated customer experiences by making it easier for customers to connect with and access the brand. And finally, 50% 
Facebook recently shared some great tips for how brands can increase customer loyalty. Today's consumers are looking for brands that support the same values that they do. So speak in a language the customer understands. Share your mission and values. Make it as easy as possible for your customers to understand those things. Be clear. Listen to your customers and actually communicate with them in a way that makes sense to them, in a way that they expect and want. Make your customers feel valued and special. Be honest, be honest and always take ownership of your brand. If you want to get the links to the articles I share in this segment of the podcast, you can sign up for my email newsletter by visiting joyjoya.com slash sign up and you'll get a digest with the links every time a new episode drops. Without further ado, let's get to my interview with Paul. So Paul, when I discovered that we were both from New Jersey, I was thinking, what is it about New Jersey that informs the way you approach marketing today? Can you make any connections between growing up in New Jersey and marketing? I can, I'm gonna shut my email. Um, I I think that, there's a transparency in which the way I develop my relationships with people. And I think that is 100% rooted in my Jersey way. And occasionally it could also be, you know, sometimes in my line of work, I have to say very uncomfortable things to people at very particular points in time. And there's something about my Jersey upbringing that, you know, keeps me from being shy. I have to like speak my mind. And I find that, so, so a lot of my trust building and, and that rapport building is very much rooted in, so it's not necessarily marketing, but my relationship building is very Jersey. That, it, that never goes away. I love that. And marketing is so much about relationship building. So I think all those things are intertwined for sure. I would no definitely agree. I would definitely agree with that too. I mean, a lot of people, when I first talked to them, they don't know I'm from New Jersey, but I seem to attract a lot of New Jersey people and East Coast people. So I think there's just like a mutual understanding vibe that goes around. <laughs> I was going to use the word vibe. That's definitely what it is. And sometimes, and as soon as you know it, like as soon as you just said that, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> definitely. So That's I would love- question. Oh, I didn't mean to catch you off guard, but I loved your answer. You were like so prepared for it. You're like, I know, I don't, I don't even have to think about this. I just know. Uh, And I love, I love being, I love that being as my background too. I I love it too. (laughs) So I'd love to focus this conversation about two things that a lot of entrepreneurs I speak to find a little bit mysterious and overwhelming and like nebulous. And those things are marketing strategy and branding. And they definitely go together in some ways. Um, Let's talk first about strategy. I know these are two things that you specialize in, you have a lot of expertise in. So define for the listeners in your own words, what is a marketing strategy? Okay. So, um, you know, I think depending on the size of the business, that that answer could change a little bit. But overall, I would say strategy is like the overall uh, growth plan of, of the business. It's a it's an umbrella, you know, a much higher level thought process, you know, um, and then, you know, it, it, it consists of many different components where it could be, you know, uh, understanding your target market 
as you know, from a data point of view, it could be uh, messaging brand would be under there. It's like, are all these components aligned to achieve that particular strategy in mind? And then when you get into like a marketing plan, you know, you might be a little bit more into tactics and how are we going to accomplish that goal? What things are we going to do to support the marketing strategy, if you will? I love that. So I would say a lot of the listeners are solopreneurs or small business owners. Does a marketing strategy matter for them? If so, why or why not? That's a great question. I, I, I think that there's a double-edged sword here. I think a lot of uh, solopreneurs, uh, you know, they're so passionate about what they love to do about the business that it's sometimes difficult to sit down and do, you know, boring planning stuff or think out the business from a business case point of view, you know, Um, because there are realities in those strategy sessions when you realize there are obstacles and sometimes it's easier to just stay in la la land and just run with the passion. And I, you know, I get that. And to be honest with you, I've met some very successful business owners who have done nothing, but just drive it all the way through with passion. Now they leave a big wake behind them. And a lot of times we do rebrands on companies who've left that wake. And now we're trying to catch the whole company up with where they are, you know, so there's no one right way. But I think that there's so much energy it takes to be a solopreneur and be small that if you have a plan and you're working toward it, you know, your energy and your time is so uh, selective that it's nice if you can check yourself. Is what we're doing today moving towards that or moving away from that? Um, and so I, th- I think it, it you know, it's, it's, I can't see it's a bad idea ever to have that paperwork. It doesn't have to be this book. It just needs to be like, what am I doing? What are my goals? You know, uh, what are my resources? Who are my customers? What am I trying to accomplish here rather than just getting up and, you know, turning the sign over that says I'm open. And so <laughs> I, I like think that, that's yeah. a little, yeah. So it's, it's a little bit more uh, being um, uh, purposeful in your success as, as opposed to, you know, being reactive to it. I think that was a good point you made that there are some business owners who can, get by for a period of time, just on their drive, their hustle, their passion. Um, But then I think that's a really very small percentage of people. And most that I speak to, no matter how passionate they are, they have like lives too. And life always ends up like getting in the way somehow. So if you don't have that like guiding North star of a strategy there and, or an accountability partner, like life is bound to get in the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's true. It's difficult to, to break out of that single person mentality. Right. And I think that, um, you know, I did it for the 22 years I've been in business, you know, nine of those years I I did it by myself. And, you know, you can hit that ceiling all the time, you know, on this is all one person can do. But the second you start bringing in a second person, you know, your processes, your strategy, people are going to ask you questions, <laughs> you know, how, how should I think about the company in this, you know, so you have to have uh, that strategy, that plan, that, that piece of the business that lives outside of you. 
um, outside of your personality, um, you know, needs to start to find its way on paper or at least in some mechanism that other people can understand what you're driving towards, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Such a good point. You know, it's not a good long-term strategy to just have everything in your head and fly by the seat of your pants. If, as you said, if you want to scale, you want to bring other people on your team, you're going to need to get it out of you. <laughs> um, I feel like that's a very Simon Sinek philosophy where like you can only rely on your personality and yourself, your unique value for so long. And then that has to like live somewhere else. So other people can also communicate that when they represent your business. Yeah, we're, we're, um, we're, we're writing a, um, a core messaging document for a pretty substantial financial company right now. And the mission behind it is because one of the guys is, you know, he's a legacy owner, but he's got some really sharp people under him and he's got to come up with a uh, sort of transitional messaging that, you know, has his DNA in it, but it can't be about him anymore. It's not about him anymore. Um, and somehow that needs to be written down because otherwise everybody underneath him is going to tell their own story about what it means to them. So there needs to be one story and not 12 versions of it. But, but, you know, a lot of times that, that part can come up and, and, you know, working with other people or making transitions, you know, that's where these documents and language and, and um, plans and strategies come into play. Yeah, that's a great point. I work with a lot of jewelry brands um, to like write their brand story or their core messaging, like what you're saying. And many of them, or actually a lot of the ones I've been doing recently are... Um, what is the word when the brand is like named after the person? Now I can't think of eponymous, Uh (laughs) a fancy word. Um, So there's like always this question, like where's the separation between the person and the brand? And like, do you want to scale? Do you always want the brand to be equal to you? Mm -hmm. Or is there like a divide there? And it's a very difficult conversation that we have because sometimes these business owners haven't even thought about that question before. Yeah. That, um, when the, when the owner becomes part of the brand, it gets interesting. There's a lot of, a lot of, I think that, that strategy, one of the questions, how often do you look at the strategy, right? That's often, well, if you have, uh, the owner as the spokesperson or like we're doing a, um, uh, it's like a, salad company. It's like a greenery they have here in Raleigh and they've done really well. And last we did a rebrand, we got them off the ground, but they wanted to put their faces on the packaging. And, um, you know, I sat them down and we had a conversation about an hour as to the pros and cons of, of doing that. And, um, you know, I was like, it's, it's hard to undo this. Right. So as as soon as we put your face on there, you know, and you guys lean into that, it's, you're going to, if you ever want to stop, we have to like, almost like unwind that a little bit because people are going to associate that the good side is you know it reinforces the local aspect it puts a face on it there it's a women-owned business they wanted to show that um they get their hands dirty they're not just like corporate owned so i you know and they decided that we're going to move forward with it and then you know it's like well every five years you might have to like redo your picture or do you want to like you want to be set in stone as you know 20 somethings because 
already that was an issue that needed to be talked about because the picture they wanted to use was already four or five years old. And I was like, I'm cool. But, you know, these are the kind of things you have to think about when you're getting that tight. That's like the full way when someone's completely is the brand. Yeah. Um, and in jewelry, I assume um, names are a big part of that, right? I assume, yes. you know, so then in that case, the name has to mean something other than the person. That's right? such a so, good point. And, and you could do that. That's how you successfully do it. And that's how you could sell a business as a jewelry company in someone's name. And someone could keep the name as long as that name meant something. It means integrity. It means craftsmanship. It means, you know, if you establish those things and you can, you can still, it still has value, even if that person was not involved. But if you don't take those steps, I think you can, you can put yourself in a corner pretty quickly. Yeah. For some reason, your story about the salad made me think of Wendy's and like how I believe Wendy is like an actual person or was an actual person, but became more like mythical and representative of something else and was always that like representation of a child, you know, in that little image that Wendy's uses that kind of made me think of that. Well, you know, you're not far off because she came up, Wendy, in the conversation because what we... <laughs> That's funny. It is because what we did was we showed them about 20 other brands that have done it and how they do it. And you started seeing patterns. And one of the patterns you, you just touched on unknowingly was that they decided to immortalize her as, as like an animated thing, right? It's, yep. not a, it's not a photograph. Yep. Right. So, you know, then you, you're leaning into this caricature, which obviously gives you a lot more power to, for it to be a brand and disconnect from a human. Right. But that was a choice that they made where they could probably never show her, her face as part of the brand or be a spokesperson doing a commercial that probably wouldn't feel right at this point. Right. Yeah, definitely. So I, it's fascinating to me. <laughs> That's funny. So how, okay, let's pretend one of the listeners is like, okay, I get it. I understand why a marketing strategy is important where should they start? Like, how can they do this so that they feel better that they have a plan moving forward or, okay. you know, an overarching view? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one, I think it's, it's important to understand your, your target audience, you know, and <laughs> to really understand that just to, and, you know, big companies can spend money on research and all that, but I mean, just spend some time trying to figure it out. Um, you know, there's two things you could do that might be for a business that's already established, and if you have a Facebook account and if you have a website with Google Analytics on it, um, both of those provide you free information on, you know, if you turn on the demographics aspect of the analytics, you can get information on who's visiting your page, who at least who's shown interest thus far. Because a lot of times, so a client will tell me who their customer is. And then, you know, we onboard them and we get all their analytics information and we're like, yeah, hey, whoever you're going after is not who's responding. You know, there's a disconnect there. So explain, you know, so know your customer first, you know, try to make sure there's enough of them, right? Uh, uh, you know, if you make the most amazingly intricate jewelry um, that is so niche that you're going to get down to a smaller audience. You, you, you have to figure out how do I get that to that audience, right? Um, and I think you're like messaging. Now, that, that could be a tagline. It could be, uh, but it could be very deep on how do you describe the brand? What, what are the words that you use so that over time, 
you know, people associate your brand with a certain thing, a, a, some characteristics. Uh, and if you don't tell them what those characteristics are, they'll make, they'll make their own up. Right. So I think you want to be in control of the messaging a little bit and you can, you know, anybody can go online and find messaging tools, you know, so it's not, you don't have to hire an agency. I mean, it does help to have guidance, but you know, for a small business owner to just sit, you know, a lot of times they're motivated by themselves. Otherwise they wouldn't be a, a business owner, but you know, you can probably take an online uh, messaging questionnaire that at least helps you figure out why is this important? And what are the things that I need to kind of wrap my head around? I think most businesses don't, I get calls for all the time with companies having messaging issues because no one ever dealt with it. And they're finally getting around to understanding how important it is. And you know, for a small jewelry company, it could just be the language on your website. It could be when someone opens up that um, they bought a bracelet online and they get that package, you know, when they open that package up, what, what's in that package? What's, what's on a little card that you put in there? Um, you know, how do you connect with, with people? Yeah, that's a great answer. I say know your customers so often on this podcast, I joke about like tattooing it on my forehead because it's just a broken record thing that I say. He's got to do it backwards. So. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, I had a thought. Oh, so messaging for jewelry brands. I think it's important to also to add to your thoughts to research, know your competitors or know the other brands in the space because I look at jewelry brands all day long. It's my life. I see the same kind of messaging over and over and over. And I wonder, do these business owners realize how copycat they're sounding because the same words are being used, the same approach. It's just like endless. So do you have any suggestions about how to find unique messaging? That's good. That's good. Um, you know, when, when we do our brand development, we ask kind of funny questions to shake people out of the tree because I, I think, you know, it's not uncommon for a business to get off the ground and emulate other businesses. I, I think there's, there's nothing really terribly wrong with that. I think, you know, getting a business launched is very difficult. Um, but in jewelry, I would assume that, you know, it, it's very personal too. It's, um, it's also, you know, it's very subjective. Um, so I think having a strong brand in that particular industry is actually really important. I think people will buy into the maker you know, it's a, it's a maker's thing. There's, there's humanity in, in jewelry. And I think people, um, you know, will respond to that. Well, um, I forgot my point. Well, uh, finding a unique message. Oh yeah. So I think that, um, you know, I, I would want someone to, to define their own work, um, in ways, uh, you know, maybe like we'll ask questions. If your brand was a, a streaming radio station, what would it, what would it play? I love if that. If your brand was a car, what would it be? Right. So uh, if, if, you're, uh, if, if, if your brand, um, you know, was a color, well, you know, so there's other ways to pose questions that make people think about their brand in, in different ways. And sometimes you will shake out of that some vernacular that isn't typically used. Because I'm sure there's 20 words in jewelry that everybody yeah, has on exactly. their Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should put together um, a document of, of words not to use. Like, don't use these words because they've already been used so many times. <laughs> I would, I, I think one of the biggest recommendations I would make is hire a copywriter. Yeah. 
pay the money for a copywriter because as good as you are at making jewelry, there are people just as good at playing with words. And, you know, be, especially with something like a messaging, it's not like you may need this person all the time. You need that person to create a master document and, you know, at least give you a framework. And I think that, you know, it, it's worth every penny to have someone do that. So, you know, let the wordsmiths do the wordsmiths. Um, but uh, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's hard to do that um, in the beginning, um, but I, it, it does pay off in dividends, I think, um, along the way, if you, if you discipline yourself to get that done. Definitely. So we sort of started touching upon this, but how often should a strategy be reviewed or updated? Like when should someone go back to it to make sure they're still on track or that it's still relevant? That's a good question. You know, every client we have is different. Um, and I would say the first thing is when they feel like things are off, you know, if, if things aren't tracking well, um, if, if goals are not being met, um, or if realities are starting to come in that aren't a lot of times, if you're developing something new and it's uncharted territory for the company or whatever, there's just unknowns. Um, and so, you know, you have to take that information and, and pivot, you know, COVID was a very big pivot. It made me think of, uh, we had a multi-location dry cleaning business um, that had pickup delivery sort of in place. Um, but what they had over other uh, dry cleaners is they had laundry service. They do wash, dry, fold. Um, and they had the delivery service that was set up. So it didn't take much to pivot to, Hey, get your dry clean, get your laundry done. And we'll, we'll, and, but, but, you know, to be able to harness all that messaging and get it out the door quickly was, um, was, was paramount. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's a really good example. I think COVID big events like that, when you start when you're releasing new products or collections, maybe perhaps your customers are changing when new competitors come into the marketplace. I think those probably in addition to, to what you said as well. Yeah, I think the change, I mean, COVID was an enormous change for a lot of businesses. And, um, you know, some of them that had access to their customers or were able to pivot on their messaging quickly, I think, you know, ones that seem to do a little bit better. I don't know how the jewelry business did. I, 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 I'm not familiar with, with the industry, how that did during COVID. Um, well, it, well, the biggest challenge was people who relied on brick and mortar retailers, like that sold their jewelry to brick and mortar retailers or that had brick and mortar stores. If their e-commerce channel wasn't robust before COVID, then that was a big issue. They're all scrambling to like figure out how to get on e-commerce or optimize e-commerce. And then how do we suddenly convince our customers they should be shopping online if they hadn't been there already? That was, I think the biggest hurdle. That's a big hurdle. Yeah, (laughs) pretty big. I'm sure that that challenged many uh, smaller jewelry places. Yeah. But I'm sure it motivated a lot of them um, who were on the fence about, you know, e-commerce or um, didn't have the time or energy. And then all of a sudden, you know, were thrusted upon, you know, um, one checking themselves. Do I really want to do this? Uh, do I have an audience and, um, and what would it take to really put my position myself? There was a couple businesses that I saw really move quickly and, and make some very quick decisions. Um, and then others that were very, very fearful to do anything. Um, and I think that the ones who pivoted are the ones who are still kind of, you know, moving forward more quickly, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. 
So we mentioned the word brand a few times. Brand is another nebulous, like scary term for a lot of people. It has a lot of moving parts. I know branding is your expertise or one of your expertises. Is that a word? Um, I want to hear what the heck is a brand? Can you define it for the listeners? Yeah, that's, I love that question. Um, first, I think you have to remember that a brand, I'm gonna, uh, first I'll give you the boring answer. I think a brand is like a memory device, right? Ooh. You, need a way, you, need, you need a way to remember a business. That's the boring answer. But, you know, getting someone to understand what a brand is, I think is like a way of putting a personality on a company and to make that a tangible thing that you can kind of understand what that company is all about. So where does it manifest? I think a brand is like every single touch point that a business has with said customer. Um, and that's visual, it's auditory, it's, uh, but, um, and, and for our clients that allow us, we will take, we will, I wouldn't say take control over, we will, we will address every touch point there is from online messaging, online hold to, uh, you know, their windows and what, what their windows look like in their brick and mortar stores and their emails. And because every touch point, you know, needs to be done in a, con, uh, a consistent way. So there's continuity and, and each one of those points almost like draws a dot and that dot all together tells the story and that story is the brand. And, and I think that people end up now, I think uh, one of the other things I'm seeing changing about brands is, you know, they're, they're now starting to take on like, um, you know, where do they stand socially? Which is like a whole yeah. other layer of, and I'm a little a little mixed on uh, on, on that. Yeah, <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, but yeah, every touch point, and because it is a memory device, it should always be. It should look the same, sound the same, and it should be like one movement altogether. I shouldn't see a TV commercial and then your YouTube and then everything looks totally disconnected with one another. Um, that would make me very upset. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I think the, the, if you think about your brand is just all the touch points where people come in contact with your business, that's where the brand lives. I like the idea of a memory device. I've never really heard it described that way. So I think that's really cool. And for some reason, when you were talking, I was like thinking about a symphony orchestra and like how each instrument, they're being like played slightly differently. There's different qualities. So those might represent like different touch points, but together, like when you're listening to it, it's beautiful and it makes sense and all the parts fit together. That's, I don't know why I thought of that, but... (laughs) That's that's um, there is a uh, synthesis to doing it well, and you know some of the best uh, rebrands we've done were companies who've gotten further than maybe they should have, right? They never cleaned up their act, and we come in and you know do something they just never thought they could do internally and clean it all up. And sometimes it takes a year if they have a lot of assets and things, but it can really drive a business when all those things are done right and done well and. Uh, um, are done thoughtfully. Definitely. I recently had a conversation with someone who said that he could argue that marketing is the way you answer the phone or how someone in your business answers the phone. And I think that that's true. And you were saying like hold music or whatever. Um, 
it's so much more, especially today in the digital world about customer experience than it is about anything else. So exactly like you're saying, all the touch points need to be like providing a unified experience. Yeah. The, you know, the online experience is, is, is a good example of that. You know, you're, if you're going to buy something online, you know, and we're all trained through Amazon and, and other of these big about how it can be done. So if your experience, you know, you know, it's, when you can make a transaction on Amazon in eight seconds, like literally you can get on and like, you know, fine. And so if your user experience is not anywhere in the ballpark of, of something that they're used to, you know, they end up with a negative uh, feeling and, yep. and, or frustration and those kind of feelings you never want customers to feel it's, it's the equivalent of someone walking to brick and mortar and there's two panes of glass to walk through. And one of them is locked. And one of my biggest pet peeves is that if you have a brick and mortar and there's doors that a customer can grab, it better be open. Don't make a customer bang on the wrong door that doesn't open because the subliminal message is frustration and you made them feel foolish as they were entering your business, right? So every touch point, I think, you know, you want them to feel good about the business. And um, there's so many places where that could be done wrong. And customer service and websites are huge places where those things can go really wrong. I think your door analogy is one of like the smartest things I've ever heard about user experience, because that can be another complicated topic, you know, talking about marketing strategy, branding, like user experience is a whole other thing, but you really just simplified it there with that uh, metaphor. Yeah, I, it's funny because I, over the years, I, I've, I've almost wanted to like leave a business card where it says, you know, like explains, keep your doors unlocked, like don't ever have a, when you have a customer bang into a door, it's just, you end up feeling stupid. So how can a marketing strategy inform a brand and vice versa? Like what, what's the overlap there? How do they connect with each other? Oh man, that's a great question. Oh, I mean, you could almost flow in and out of, of, of both things. I think, you know, every time we engage with a client, they're always in different places, right? And I may always say it'd be perfect to do this in this order, but the reality is it can never be done in that order. So I almost want people to just dive in and start digging into it, whatever angle they come from, right? So um, I think that when it comes to the understanding the brand and the messaging, people find that a little bit more fun. So if that gets you to the table on understanding those things, that's great. But, you know, understanding your target market and the demographics, and, you know, you, you got to do that stuff too. Um, and the reality is, you know, when we do a rebrand, you know, we make sure we don't do, we're expecting the client to understand their target market. You know, we, we can't be doing our market uh, research while we're doing the brand. Typically that would be, they have an idea who they am. But in the onboarding process, we're going to ask them questions to make sure that they're clear on that because, you know, the brand needs to be appealing to that customer. Yep. And so those things are constantly going back and forth with, with one another and support. So um, I, I don't know if I have an exact answer for you other than that they're ebb and flowing within each other all the time. Um, so uh, they can affect one another at every, you know, from one sentence to, to the next. Yeah. I think that that's a really 
good point you make. I was talking last week on the podcast about how marketing is never like a one and done thing. It's ever evolving. No company is ever going to be perfect at it. And I think what you said really supports that. It's like a living fluid thing. And of course, a brand is meant to be sustained for the long term, but that's not to say that in the future there might need to be some kind of update or refresh, or that it needs right. to be rethought, and that's fine. Absolutely, um, we have a multi-location uh, appliance and mattress place. It's been one of our best clients ever, and uh, we rebranded them. That's how the conversation started, and then we became their agency of record, and um, you know, really helped these guys explode. And, you know, we're about six years into the relationship. And um, so we're just having conversations now, especially during COVID. We weren't sure if we wanted to move forward with new creative. We were sort of in a pause. We had a lot of things in motion. We were going to keep in motion, but it didn't make sense to throw a bunch of money into new creative. But now we're, we're talking about, um, you know, we're six years into this rebrand. The brand's fine, but all the other elements around it, like if you create a whole new campaign, like right now we have a campaign it's called Create the Good Life. And um, it worked and now we're going to just round out a little bit. And the, to be honest with ourselves, create the good life is like now more fitting coming out of COVID because people are craving these outdoor grilling and lifestyle things and, and entertaining and, and whatnot. So I think we were like, oh, let's let's stay with it, but let's broaden that. So the the, the brand can refresh itself often without affecting like the logo or the general feel of the brand, but those touch points don't have to stay stale. You know, you, you do want to give it some love every once in a while. And, and that depends on how much you're putting out there. You know, if you're burning the candle on both ends and you have a lot of activity in the market, you know, then maybe in three years, you need to you know give that a fresh, but you know, most smaller companies don't have the finances to, to do that. And they're not doing a lot of marketing to, to, but I think you don't want people to get stale of those interaction points and those, and that's more like advertising, um, you know, visuals I think about. Yeah. That's a really good point. So if someone listening is really struggling to find their voice or perspective in their brand, what recommendations do you have for them? I would say um, with the assumption that if they're a small business, they're probably not going to be able to afford engaging with an agency, right? Let's just assume that that's because that's probably the reality of it. It just it wouldn't make financial sense. There are some really good tools online. Um, you know, the brand development questionnaire that we developed over the years from for our clients, you know, was put together over years of things that we found online that we like. So, you know, you just type in core messaging questionnaire and Google, you're going to have the first step of a great questionnaire and if you look at 10 of them, 80% of the information is going to be the same. There's only so many questions that get to the bottom of your messaging. So, you know, Google, and that's what's changed since when I started the business 22 years ago, you know, these were like uh, coveted IP things for agencies. Now everything is available. So it just takes a little bit of um, self-motivation and maybe a business coach, uh, maybe someone who is just out, maybe someone you don't have to hire, but maybe someone who you know is not a friend, but uh, but a friend in business, uh, just to have a different perspective. Um, that could be helpful sometimes. Sometimes there are peer groups that people get into, um, which could be helpful or group thought could be bad sometimes if you're trying to think about fresh marketing. Um, but there are some amazing resources online. So I think that, you know, just 
sitting down and, and, and making it a priority is probably the, the biggest thing. <laughs> I would hundred percent agree with that. It's something that can easily just be pushed off, procrastinated on, like it's not necessarily fun. You probably have like writer's block or a creative block about it, but like making it a priority, like you said, I think is number one. Yeah. Just got to put this up or, you know, or maybe, um, try to find someone who's just getting outside of school and they're motivated to help somebody like that. And maybe it would be more affordable because a lot of times, you know, like I'm a creative director, but ask me to sit down and write a page worth of stuff. And I am handicapped. Like it takes me a long time to express myself in written word. You know, if I, I can tell you the whole story in pictures and with my mouth in about 30 seconds. Um, so I, I understand when people sit down to do these things that it's a little bit, um, but, you know, I, th I think there's always, you have to do it. You know, if you're going to be a business owner, eventually, if you want to get past a certain point, you're going to hit these walls. And some of these tools help them get past these walls. Definitely. So in your time as a branding expert and marketer, have you seen the definition of brand change with the introduction of like new digital media and tools? And if so, can you elaborate on that? Or maybe not? What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> Well, there, there's an argument and I'm still taking inventory on, so there was some years ago and, uh, you know, everything was online. You can purchase something online that brands won't matter anymore. And that really bothered me quite a bit. So I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't just shove it off. I started to like, listen and pay attention. <clears throat> and I, I, I definitely disagree and maybe more strongly than ever, because I think that that user experience now is the brand for those online marketers. Right. And, you know, if your shipment doesn't show up when it's said your experience is going to be bad and you will think about that brand in that way. So I disagree. I think that um, more and more companies are trying to uh, realize that they have to find a way to express themselves because there's so much noise out there that if your brand does not stand out or mean something, then it will fall on deaf ears. So I think brand is now maybe perhaps more important where I feel like it's changed where, again, we talked about this a little bit now, you know, some of these bigger companies have to have like social, um, you know, I talked about the brand having a personality and now I think the brands sometimes are being forced to think a certain way. And, and, you know, that could be really difficult to navigate as, as a company owner. And, you know, I, I, I never, I always felt like a brand should be still, it's not a person, you know, it's a, it's a business. And I think that there's a distinction between there. So I like, I don't like brands to go down that far personally. Um, you know, but some owners are very passionate about how they believe in things and, and who they want their customers to be. I just, I think that you want, you know, as many customers as you want. And I, I don't, I don't, I, I just be, I'd be careful on social things. Uh, I, I had that uh, one client, not really a client, but something, somebody we helped uh, uh, do some uh, brand development for years ago. And I watched uh, during COVID that he had a, uh, he posted something on Facebook and I watched his business like collapse, like in 48 hours because of how wow. he because of how he handled, um, you know, particular negative feedback. And there was an opportunity to kind of back out and he doubled down and, you know, and, and, you know, so messaging is powerful and important. And there's just some things I think businesses should sort of, you know, keep the brand away from so that they can play in a space where people can just conduct commerce. It doesn't need to be, uh, you know, uh, taking sides on anything. I think that's a little dangerous for brands to take. So that, that's been a big change. Maybe that's been around forever, but I saw a big change over that in the last like 10 years. 
I definitely have seen the same change. Um, I thought it was interesting how you made the distinction that a brand is not a person, but I think because customers can more easily like reach brands and more immediately, like they can message them on Instagram or like, you know, interact with brands in a way that wasn't possible a long time ago. Maybe people today think that brands are like people because of the ease of communication. I don't know if that has anything to do oh, with this change. Okay. Now you got me thinking. That's, that's, oh. that, one's gonna, that, one's, that one's gonna sit in my head for a couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> we should do a whole other episode just on that topic. Yeah, that's really good. And I, and I, you know what I have to, my gut would say you're partially right that, you know, unfortunately we're not as interacting with humans as much anymore. And so if you think about it, what's the, if, if some, if some age uh, or some uh, people are just communicating through electronics and they're doing the same thing with companies, is there a difference? <laughs> you know, so I think you're making a pretty good point there that, that maybe in, in, in the electronic world, they almost are a person or the equivalent of the relationships that you build. Yeah. That's, that's and I'm not saying, you know, what you said is right or wrong, but I just think that might be why that's happening. No, yeah. I think I think you're right. Nice insight. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Well, your insights made me think of that. So it's yeah, a mutual, okay. it's a mutual thing. Well, this was so fun, Paul. Do you have and thank you for all your amazing thought-provoking things? You had me thinking of all these like metaphors and images and especially with the user and customer experience, a lot of really great thoughts. Do you have any other things that you'd like to share with the listeners before we wrap up today? No, I think we covered a lot of good ground. I mean, I think, you know, tying it back to jewelry, I, I you know, when I'm not doing marketing stuff, I'm an artist myself. And so I can, I can, you know, I, I, I think it's a great, uh, it's a business that has a lot of rich uh, creative in it. And I, I admire that. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of times when there's a lot of creative, there's less of the business side, right? And so I think that, you know, most people who are creative have to push themselves in that other area. Um, so, you know, I think the only thing I want to leave with is you got you to make yourself uncomfortable a little bit. Um, and I'm not assuming everybody in jewelry business is one way, but I, I would be willing to bet they're more create on the creative side than they are maybe on the analytical side. And I think that, you know, they have to push themselves to be a little bit in the uncomfortable zone before they, uh, for part of their growth. That's a great point. So our main takeaway from this is we want you to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. I think we that's part of being squirm. a business. <laughs> yeah, squirming is good. I see it all the time, especially in branding uh, meetings. There's a lot of squirming going on. Sometimes, but, uh, I, I mean, that. that means you're getting to the real stuff. I love Thank that. you for having me. Uh, thanks for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. It's been a great conversation. Thanks so much, Paul. I loved it. It was such a pleasure to be able to chat with Paul about marketing strategy and branding. And I hope our conversation slightly clarifies these topics for you if you did have any confusion about them before. To learn more about Paul's marketing agency, The Marketing Machine, visit www.themmachine.com. Com. As a reminder, my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, is published and available to purchase. If you'd like to learn more and get your own copy, visit joyjoya.com book. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about marketing services for your jewelry brand, visit joyjoya.com. 
where you can download our free ebook, Proven Conversion Strategies for E-Commerce Jewelry Retailers.